Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> we are uh, going through the book of Hebrews. Pastor Mark took us through the first two chapters of Hebrews. We're going to pick up in chapter 3. Hopefully get through the whole thing. We're going to start with verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 3, 1 through 6. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. See that? The Bible just called Jesus God. You guys notice that? Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is God's word. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, uh, I just want to recognize my weakness up here, Um, Lord, uh, that you would uh, speak by your word, though your vessel, Lord, is uh, a little uh, imperfect at the moment, um, every moment, but particularly now, Lord, and uh, so I just pray that your word would speak true, God, that your word would be etched upon our hearts, God. That your word would be what transforms us. Your word would would be uh, what stirs us up, Lord. What causes us to consider your glory, Lord. That no uh, fantastic speech or eloquent language or humor, Lord, would ever take the place of what you have to say in your truths, Lord. Uh, Speak to our hearts, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, if you've been here for the past couple weeks, uh, Pastor Mark has really set a foundation that the book of Hebrews is really um, about Jesus being greater, okay? It's about Jesus being greater. And, and, and in order to really understand that Jesus is greater, he gave us a framework in Hebrews chapter one, where Jesus, or, or, or the author speaks of him being greater than the angels, right? Remember that he's talking to a Hebrew culture, right? He's talking to a Hebrew culture. So in a Hebrew culture, and even in our culture today, when we think of something holy and something amazing, usually something that comes up in our head is angels, right? And so, and so literarily, like the, the author is kind of just trying to bring us into that type of, well, you think angels are holy? Well, Jesus is even holier than that, right? And he's going to draw that comparison to Moses too. Oh, you think Moses is a good leader? Well, look at Jesus as a better leader, as a greater leader. And in chapter two of Hebrews, we learn that uh, Jesus displays how great he is and how much better he is by humbling himself to the cross and taking all of our sin and all of our baggage upon his shoulders. And, and so we learn this, guys. And, and, and what I really want you guys to take in, um, I want to just add to what Pastor Mark has been preaching, is that the style of Hebrews is a sermon, right? It's not necessarily like the other epistles, right? It, it, it's more of a sermon-type style of literature. It's, 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 it's just when, when you're thinking of this, think of one long sermon, 
right? Or even not very long. If I were to read the whole book of Hebrews, it would only take me about 30 minutes anyways, right? If I were to use pauses and all of that. So just think of this as a sermon. I, I, I want you to think about the author of Hebrews really just speaking to people he cares about. And not just people he cares about, but people that have been heavily persecuted, right? People that have been heavily, heavily persecuted. This isn't like what we experience in America type persecution. This is brutal persecution, right? This is you, most Christians die not of old age with loved ones surrounding them, right? But of being killed by the government. Right, so so that's 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 how um, that that was a Christian's fate back then, right? And 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 so we have a bunch of Hebrews at this point saying, well, why, why should I keep being a Christian? Can I just go back to being a Jew? Right? Can I just go back to my Jewish faith? I didn't get killed for my Jewish faith, right? And so the author, this is like a sermon saying, don't give up, don't give up. Jesus is so much greater than all that you have learned about already. He's so much greater. And that's where chapter three begins. He says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He talks to Christians. He's talking to Christians. He says, brothers who share in the heavenly calling, right? That's Christians. Guys, there's so many times in the Bible where I read something and I'm like, man, can't, like, I just need my non-believing friend to hear that, right? But we forget that most epistles are written to us, not to the world, to us, for us to consider these things, not for us to impose it on a culture, but for us to take it in and live it and then affect a culture. Does that make sense? We are to take these words and say, and shove them in people's faces and say, look, this is what Jesus says right? We are supposed to take it and look at it, as it says in Galatians, as a mirror. The law, the written word is, is like a mirror where we are to check and be introspective and to change our own hearts and our own character. That way we can love on a community that needs Jesus and share the gospel with them, right? So he's talking to us as Christians <clears throat> and he tells us to consider Jesus. He uses that word, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He says, let us consider Jesus. The word in Greek, guys, just to nerd out on you and to give you a word that you'll never remember, is the word in Greek is katanayo. Katanayo. That's the word for consider. And it means to fix your eyes upon. Fix your eyes upon, to have tunnel vision towards. And so the author is saying, consider Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And I can just hear the author's voice rumbling as he bangs on the pulpit and he says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Consider him when you're looking at all of these trials and all of the things and the anxiety surrounding you. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. All the persecution and the turmoil, everything that's plaguing your mind and making you lay awake at night, fix your eyes upon Jesus. He calls him an apostle and a high priest. He calls him an apostle and a high priest. Apostle, guys, simply means one who is sent or an ambassador. We think of, what do we think of when we usually hear the word apostle? What do we think of? Come on. You're allowed to talk in church. It's okay. What do we think of? Come on. 
Huh? Yeah, the 12 apostles. Thank you. Everyone was thinking it. No one was saying it, right? Yeah, dude, public school has ruined us for speaking up. Huh? I don't want to be wrong, right? No, yeah, we think of the 12 apostles, the founders of Christianity. And, 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 what, and what the author is trying to say here, he's saying, look, Jesus is the capital A apostle. He is the founder of our faith. He's the founder of our faith. The ultimate founder of Christianity, the apostle, guys. <clears throat> and I want us to pay attention to this. Excuse my raspy voice. The validity and the reality of our faith rests upon the person of Jesus Christ. The reality and the validity of our faith rests not upon some sort of philosophical framework or a set of ideals. You guys understand that Christianity isn't a set of ideals or some sort of philosophical way of explaining the universe and morality. We are not one way of thinking amongst many ways of thinking. Our faith is not founded upon, well, this is the way we do morals. Our faith is not founded upon, well, here's our liturgy. Here's our, uh, here's our um, tradition. Our faith is founded upon the actual and historical acts of Jesus and an ongoing pursuit of a relationship with him. That is what our faith is founded on. The person of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I have endeavored to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I need, no, I, I, I need, no, I need preach nothing else but Jesus Christ. It is too easy, guys, to just latch on to a church. Right, and have that be the object of our worship. But Jesus must remain the center and the object of our worship. Consider Jesus. Look on to Jesus. We must not allow ourselves to get caught up in all the things that surround Christianity. Does that make sense? There's things that surround Christianity, huh? Opinions, right? Church attendance, right? We have our, our, our little pet theologies, right? We have uh, Christian friends or a friend group or a ministry that we have, perhaps a political party, right? The shoe fits, wear it, okay? We have this set of Christian friends. We have this set of beliefs. We have this, and, and we tend to latch on to things that kind of are surrounded by Christianity. But Christ ought to be the center. Look onto Jesus, not look onto tradition, not look onto the church, not look onto your relationship, not look onto your marriage, not look onto your classes. Look onto Jesus. And what we tend to do, guys, what we tend to do in the American church is look to leaders, right? We will latch ourselves and attach ourselves to leaders. And, and, and surround ourselves and take their word for it, for anything. We surround ourselves and we, we attach to leaders like they are God themselves, don't we? I mean, obviously not with Pastor Mark and I, right? But, but with other people, right, that aren't as jacked up as we are. We like to latch ourselves. <clears throat> and the Hebrews had this issue as well. They would attach themselves to the founders of their faith or what the, they, they believed was the founder of their faith, like Moses, 
right? And, and so look at verse 2. He says, Who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So guys, the author wants to express that Jesus is greater and more worthy of worship than any institution or any leader we can glom onto. <clears throat> and isn't that a lot of hope for what's happening in America right now? Right, that we don't have to attach ourselves and latch on to a leader and rest our hope in them. That we don't have to also latch our hope on a past leader that might have done well in the past. That he's saying you can look onto Jesus and, 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 and you could be a part of what he is currently doing in the world. You don't have to subscribe to these institutions and these leaders. You look on to Jesus. And when he's trying to teach the Hebrew people this, what better example to use than Moses, right? Because Moses was like the guy. You know what I mean? Like the guy. I don't know who the guy is for you or the girl is for you, but that's who it was for um that was the prime example of a faithful leader to the Hebrew people. You know what I mean? For you, it might be Martin Luther King Jr., Barack Obama, Ronald Reagan, John Wooden, Mark Lesney. It might be whoever, right, it is, right, who is the guy, right? The guy, the girl, the leader that you look to, like that is who it is. That's what it means to be a leader. That's what it means to be in leadership. And so, and, and so what the author is saying, he's not denouncing what Moses did, but he's basically saying, listen, like Moses was a good servant in the house, but Jesus built the house, right? He's like, yeah, Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus is faithful as a son, right? A son in a, in a royal household had way more power than a servant in a royal household, right? We don't use those archaic terms now today because it's just, that's not the way our society runs, but it's saying the one who built the company is way better than like the general manager, right? So, so he, he's drawing this comparison. He's saying, you have never known, nor will you ever know a greater and more faithful leader than Jesus. You'll never know one. And the house of God that he speaks of here, this, these verses are talking about God's people, right? Which is really flattering to us that we are, we are the house of God. You know what I mean? We are the house of God. We are God's people. That's a flattering term. And Moses was an excellent servant in that house. Martin Luther King Jr. was an excellent servant in that house. Past pastors, past church leaders were great servants in that house. The founding fathers, great servants in that house. But who built the house? Jesus. So we don't fix our eyes upon past leaders, right? Or even current leaders, but we, we fix our eyes solely upon the cross and what Christ has done for us. <clears throat> In Colossians 1.16, he says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him 
and for him. Now, why, why, why make a big deal out of this? Why take an entire book to just, like, Jesus is better, right? It's like, okay, we got it, Zach, all right. Like, we, we listened to Pastor Mark for two weeks telling us Jesus is better, and now you're going to, like, we get it, right? Why make a big deal? I think it's because, at least for me, maybe not for you, but for me, I need to be reminded of it every day. I need to be reminded because I'm constantly focused on other things. I'm constantly putting my eyes and my gaze. I'm considering fixing my eyes upon my relationships or my circumstances. Always looking at the next task I have to do. Always looking at the next meeting I have to go to or the next class I have to go to or the next thing I'm doing with my wife or the ne- whatever it may be. Surrounded by circumstance and I'm a victim to circumstance, guys. I find myself a victimized by my schedule or victimized by the tasks and the homework and the job, everything. Do you feel that anxiety? Do you feel that? Because, because I, know, I know it's there in you. Because anytime we ask each other how we're doing, we always say, busy. Always. We always say busy. We always say swamped. We always say tired. Because I think what's constantly happening, guys, is that we are fixing our eyes just on whatever's next and just constantly putting out fires, right? This fire comes, like, put it out. This fire comes, put it out. And we're just in this constant state. Circumstance, 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 circumstance. And some are good, right? And some are bad. But just always being tossed to and fro in the, in the oceans of chance, right? Just whatever happens next. Or some of you guys are super structured and you're a slave to your schedule. You've let it have power over you rather than you having power over it. It uses you. You don't use it. What good is a schedule if you don't have control over it, right? And so we feel this. And so the reason why Pastor Mark, Pastor Rob, and myself, the reason why we berate this thing, that Jesus is the center, that we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, is because he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all else will be added onto you. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, when we're so focused on the relationship, on the job, on, on all of these things, and that's what we're fixing our eyes upon daily, we fall away. And our souls suffer. And the author continues where he quotes Psalm 95 in verses 7 through 11. So go back to your Bibles. This is a Bible study. Hope you didn't close it. <clears throat> Learned your lesson. Open it up again. In verse 7, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Lest there be any of you 
an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence in him to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Guys, this refers to a few stories in Exodus. He, he's quoting Psalm 95. And in Psalm 95 is, is actually telling a story of what happened in Exodus. Guys, God led people out of slavery in Egypt. His people, God's house, right? God's people were in slavery. And guys, this isn't TV slavery. You know TV slavery, right? I feel like we have this concept of what slavery is, where it's like, all right, you're in chains and you're just doing things with bricks all day, right? And if you mouth off, you get whipped in the back and then you just continue. We have this, we have this TV slavery in our heads, but I, I, I want you to understand just how brutal the Egyptian culture was. I want you to understand that men would just work until they died and that women would just be raped and that children to control population of slavery were just killed when they were born. And I need you to understand what slavery was here. Slavery was not just building things all day and then going home to your family, resting, waking up early in the morning and then building things all day again. It was maybe today I'll die. If I'm lucky, I'll work all day, get a piece of bread, go to sleep, get up the next day. Every woman had to wake up in the morning with just the fact that I'll probably be raped again today. Every mother and father that had the joy of having a newborn child, Pharaoh's just like, ah, let's just kill all the children under the age of two. Let's just kill them. That's what slavery was. That was Egypt, Okay all day in the hot sun, either working or just being victimized by these brutal people. And God led them out of slavery. He led them out of that place into the wilderness. And he said, listen, I've promised you a place flowing with milk and honey, which to us is like weird, right? You know, it's like, oh, I'm lactose intolerant, you know. <clears throat> it was a vibrant place. It was a place that was promised to them saying, this is going to be your place. You don't have to be guests in your home anymore. You don't have to feel afraid to go to bed. I'm going to take you out of slavery and we're going to journey through the wilderness and it's going to be worth it, I promise. And so as they're going through the wilderness, what happens? I'm hot, I'm tired, my feet hurts, my back, right? Just always constantly complaining. And do you know what they ended up saying? Why'd you take us out of Egypt? These people had just been brought out of slavery. God, God, guys, God parted the, like, like, let's stop pretending that that's not absurd. Let's stop pretending that that's not crazy, that God parted a sea, right? That's insane, right? That's crazy. That happened. And it, let's stop acting like it's a normal that happened and it's crazy, right? It's insane. And I have a hard time believing it sometimes, but it happened and it's awesome and it's crazy, right? And, 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 and God did this for them. They wouldn't have escaped slavery if he hadn't, right? 
geographically, it never would have happened. <clears throat> and, he, and he brings them out and, 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 and water is coming out of rocks and, and, and food's just appearing in the middle of the night. And God's, God sent them a bun- bunch of quail for them to kill and for them to eat. And he's giving them things. And it's just, and they're traveling and they're like, that's hot. I'm thirsty. Why'd you take us out of Egypt? At least we had water in Egypt. And God says, yeah, therefore I was provoked with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God said, that generation, their children will get the promised land, but they won't. They're too busy complaining. They're too busy being afraid. They wouldn't go and seize the promised land because they were afraid. They were too scared. God's like, no, it's yours. I promise. Like, you just go, go take it. No, they're tall and big and there's a wall. And God's like, no, I I promise. Take it. And they're like, no, let's just go back to Egypt. Guys, their discomfort in the present kept them from remembering the slavery of the past. And the promise that awaited them in the future was forgotten as they were discomfort, as they experienced discomfort now. Guys, this is so true of me. I don't know about you, but this is me. I look at certain circumstances that are in my life and in our world today, and I just get so freaked out and anxious sometimes. And it keeps me from seeing it keeps me from seeing the good that God has awaited for me in the future. And it also makes me over-fantasize the past. Oh no, it wasn't slavery. At least I was comfortable back then. <clears throat> I cannot tell you how many people, how many people I talk to that get out of just crazy, emotionally abusive relationships. And then they're single and then they just can't handle the discomfort of being single. So they just go right back to that relationship. It breaks my heart. And that's the picture of what's happened here. Is that when we experience something different, that's something outside of our comfort zone, something unknown, we get uncomfortable. So we just want to go back to slavery. Because at least in slavery, we're used to it. Some of you have gone out of addiction, out of a pornography addiction, or, or you guys um, have been a part of just a bad friend group or a bad relationship, and, and you gave your life to Jesus, and now you're trying to get out of it, and it's uncomfortable because it's the wilderness. You're like, ah, the wilderness is so uncomfortable. I, I, at least I know slavery. <clears throat> and the truth is, guys, We aren't supposed to look at how good or how bad it used to be in the past. We also aren't supposed to always be thinking about how the future might be better than right now. Notice how God all the time, when the people would complain, he would rarely say, but guys, I promise the promised land is going to be amazing. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of slavery. Keep my commandments. He doesn't say, listen, I'm going to give you good treats if you stay good now. He doesn't say that. Guys, listen to me. This is what separates Yahweh from Allah. Okay? This is what separates Yahweh, the God that we worship, and Allah, the God of Islam. 
I'm not going to get bigoted and crazy on you right now. I promise. Listen to me. If you read the Quran, Allah has to bribe you with all of these crazy things to obey him. He has to bribe you with gold and silver and virgins. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, says, I'm enough. In fact, I'm going to be pretty vague about heaven. All you need to know is that I'm there. Yeah, streets of gold, all that stuff. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm not going to really give you any specifics. Do you know why? Because you're not going to care? Because I'm there. Yahweh doesn't need to bribe you with anything. He says, I'm enough if you just focus on me. If you consider Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, you will not look at these circumstances. You will not be trying to go back to slavery. If you look at Jesus, stop looking at the circumstances. Stop looking at the anxieties, all these little tasks and the fires you have to put out. Focus on Jesus. He's not going to say, hey, listen, it's all going to be amazing. I'm going to give you puppies and ponies and you're never going to get sick ever again. He says, listen to me. If you become a Christian, life will get harder. People might hate you, but it's the wilderness. And what awaits you does not matter, but listen, I am here for you. And what you will accomplish through your suffering will be so insurmountable. You, you, will, you will understand the glory that awaits every single act of sacrifice you have. Every single bit of discomfort that you persevere through will be worth it because you'll have me. Yahweh needs not bribe you with anything but himself in fellowship with him. Because that is what our, long heart, uh, that is what our hearts long for. Since the garden, we have not wanted things. We have wanted fellowship with God. We aren't supposed to brood over our present circumstances. We look at the stress and the broken relationships and we get filled with all the the drama and anxiety, don't we? Some of you have been dealing with a lot of drama lately, right? There's just drama, right? And And it's stupid drama, you know what I mean? It's dumb, right? It's always dumb and it's never you, right? Drama is always dumb and it's never about, you know, you're never the source of it. Notice that? Once again, shoe fits where it... And it can consume us. It can consume us. And we feel at a loss. And here's what happens, guys. When we feel at a loss and when we feel consumed by our circumstances, we slip right back into sin. Because it's comfortable slavery at least we know it because at least it's comfortable and the warning here just picture the pastor of hebrews saying don't harden your hearts when it gets tough look to jesus fix your eyes on jesus consider jesus meditate on jesus learn about jesus follow jesus In Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through four, we'll learn that later on. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, 
the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Listen, the present circumstances that you have and the suffering that you're going through I want you to picture something with me. I want you to picture your suffering and your circumstances as a cross. And you're carrying it and it's getting heavier and heavier. And you're walking down this dark aisle or you're walking up a hill. And it's interesting because you're carrying this cross and it's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. But right in front of you is Jesus carrying his And you're just following him as you pick up your cross and you follow him. That's why Jesus said, whoever desires to follow me must first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Pick up your anxieties, your suffering. But do you know what's amazing? Do you know what Jesus exemplified? Is that as we're carrying that cross up the hill in Jesus, you could just see him pressing forward with a smile on his face because he knows when you both get to the top, you get to take that cross and give it to him. And he sheds his blood and you don't have to. He gets to suffer. You don't have to. This present suffering that we experience right now is temporary. And it is meant to be on the shoulders of Jesus. And some of you had given your lives to Jesus at one point, but the stress and anxiety had gotten to you. And you realize that being a Christian involves introspection and and, and change and getting out of your comfort zone. And that's hard. Guys, it's, it's easy to be a trendy Christian, huh? Right? It's easy to read our Bibles and post it on Instagram. It's easy to go to church and to talk about how great or lame the service was. It's easy to post stuff on Facebook and have little discussions. It's easy to do group Bible studies amongst Christians that you know already agree with you. Man, but it's not easy when Jesus says, listen, if you want to be free, you have to stop it. You have to let go of that little sin that you have. You have to let go of the gossip. You have to let go of the lust. You have to let go of the greed. You have to sacrifice something. That's hard. It's easy to be a trendy Christian. It's hard to be a real one. It's hard. And some of us got into this whole game and then we realized, oh man, it's not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Can you imagine the Israelites when they got out of slavery in Egypt? They're like, yeah, it's hot, right? (laughs) Freedom in the wilderness is better than slavery and comfort. Freedom in the midst of trial is way better than comfort in the midst of sin. You've spent so much time looking at your circumstances. I have spent so much time looking at my circumstances that I've, sometimes I slip back into unhealthy patterns of sin and complacency. 
you guys know that's what sin mostly is, you know? You know, you guys understand that sin isn't always this belligerent, crazy, strung out on drugs, punching babies, joining ISIS, right? It's, it's like, you guys know that that's not what most sin is. You know, that's like the 1% of sin, right? You guys know that's the 1%. Do you guys know what sin is for me? It's when I know an unbelieving friend of mine is suffering. And I pat him on the shoulder and I say, oh, it's going to be okay, man. And I walk away. Don't tell him about Jesus. That's most sin. Most sin for me is the, just the subtle, passive-aggressive comments I give to my parents or to my wife. Most sin for me is that subtle mistrust that when God says, let it go, I promise I'll bless you, and I just don't trust him. That's most sin. It's most sin. And so when, when we get anxious and when we have anxiety and when things get stressful and when it seems like things just aren't falling into place, what happens is that we don't like string out, you know, get a sawed off shotgun, start, whatever, you know, we, we don't freak out like that, but we do subtly slip back into our old patterns of complacency and sin and pornography and gossip and slander. We have one few too many drinks abusing our liberty. Or we're just not a good friend to those who really need it. Or we stop going to church for a while, not because going to church is this awesome thing, but we know there's this, this hidden thing. Don't harden your hearts is what the author says here. Don't harden your hearts like that. That subtle complacency, that subtle slipping back into sin, that is what he means by hardening your hearts as the people did in the wilderness. And, and God says, they're not going to enter into my rest. They're always going to be anxious. They're going to die stressed out. But if you look on to Jesus, knowing that he has already covered everything. I'll end with uh, John chapter 21. If you guys will turn to John chapter 21 with me and I'll close up with a story about Peter. Peter had just denied Jesus three times. Jesus was crucified. Peter hasn't seen Jesus yet. He's just feeling super bummed out, I guess. John chapter 21, verse 1. We'll go to verse 2. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the son of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's interesting because he had just spent three years being an apostle, right? Big, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. He took me out into the mountain. He taught me all these things. I got special treatment from Jesus, right? I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be seated at Jesus's right hand. He's going to take over the government, right? And, and then we're all going to have a party, 
right? And I'm going to be at his right hand. John will be at his left hand, and we're just going to have fun, right? And we're going to restore the earth, and no one will be sick anymore. No one will die anymore. There's going to be peace on earth, and God's going to reign. It's going to be awesome. Jesus, where are you going? Oh, my gosh, they're beating you. Oh, whoa, what's happening? Being an apostle isn't so cool anymore. And then this little girl walks up to him and says, don't you know Jesus? Are you one of his followers? And Peter's like, no. It actually says in the Bible, he cursed. So he said, "Uh, no. And he denied Jesus three times. He denied Jesus. And and now Jesus is hanging on that cross. And Peter isn't even there. He's ran away in shame. And he knows that his Savior has died. And he's sitting here on a beach. And he's just like, I'm going fishing. Feeling ashamed and defeated, he went back to his old life. His heart began to grow hard as ours does. When we go through discouragement and, whoa, oh my gosh, Jesus is crucified. It seems like God isn't here. We go back to our old life. We go back to our old sin. We go fishing. And it says in verse 4, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Right? It's like... No, we've been fishing all night, right? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the uh, the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Do you guys notice something? Peter, Peter feeling so ashamed, he now sees Jesus on the shore, and he's like, I gotta go to him. And so he puts on his clothes. Normally we take off our clothes before we go swimming, but he puts on a jacket, right? And he's just, ah, right? He's not even like straight. And it says he was only a hundred yards from shore, So he could have just been in the boat and they all could have just rowed. They're probably rowing next to Peter. Like, what are you, right? Like, but listen, listen, listen. Peter didn't take the path of least resistance. He says, I denied him. I'm jumping out of this boat right now and I am swimming and it is going to be difficult and I am going to be tired, but Jesus is there and I just got to get to him. I'm not going to think Jesus is right there. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm just going to jump and go for it and go swim to him. And then in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it a third time. You see, he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus says three times, do you love me? Do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he says, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Do you know what he's talking about? He says in verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. He said, Peter, if you love me, know this. 
you're no longer able to dress yourself and put on your own pants and you're not able to just go wherever you want to go. Listen, people are going to take you places. They're going to strip you naked and they're going to nail you to a cross as they nailed me to a cross. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. So he says, follow me. And so, so Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Peter was restored that day. And he got to enter into God's rest and understand his calling. Peter took the path, not of least resistance, but of most resistance, knowing that in the wilderness is where God is. Forget about the promised land. We'll get to the promised land when we get there. But in the midst of trials and circumstance, right now, God is there. And if you're looking at the circumstance, you're going to drown. But if you're looking onto Jesus, you're going to keep swimming, even when you have a coat on. The charge for us Christians is to swim to Jesus. Jump out of the boat. Jump out of your hardened heart. Jump out of your sin, your old life, the things you've been slipping back into since you came to college. Jump out of the boat, take risks, be brave, and be restored because Jesus is right there. And he's not in the boat. He's on shore. And and it's so stupid when, you know, it's a stupid thing to say and it sounds dumb. But people will come to me and there's, there's someone who texted me last night and he was just, Zach, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. I just said, stop. Pick up your cross and follow him. And he said the most humble thing I have ever heard come out of anyone's mouth. I've never heard this in my entire life of ministry. This is weird, but I've actually never heard this. This is the first time I heard it out of someone's mouth. He said, you're right. First time I've ever heard it as being a pastor. You're right. Listen, jump out of the boat. It's going to be uncomfortable. You have your coat on. There's going to be resistance. But at the end, at that shore is where Jesus is. And he shouldn't have to bribe you with any sort of blessing or land flowing with milk and honey. He's there. And that's enough. And if that's not enough for you, you're not cut out for this. We have to ask ourselves as we worship, we have to ask ourselves as we come to church, we have to ask ourselves, if I gain nothing else but just Jesus, is that enough for me? And that's a question I have to wrestle with tonight as I worship and as I take communion. When I, when I contemplate the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, I, I, have to, I have to honestly ask myself, if nothing else came along with this whole Christianity thing and all I got at the end of it was to be with Jesus, is that worth it? Because for Peter, it was. He said, I will feed your sheep. I will be crucified. I will swim with my coat on. I will do whatever it takes because I know what it's like to deny you and it's miserable. So yes, Lord. You know that I love you and I will feed your sheep and I will go wherever. So take that charge tonight, Christians. And we're going to worship God with strength and we're going to worship God seeing him on the shore, seeing him carrying the cross ahead of you. And we're going to sing and we're going to shout for joy because he is enough, not because your circumstances, not because he's going to take you out of them. They might remain the same, but Jesus is enough. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, uh, we, we praise you tonight and, and we ask um, that you would reveal in our hearts, God, this, this knowledge that you are enough, that you are satisfying, you are 
um, you are able to get us through the wilderness and through the storms. God, I think about the story of when all the uh, disciples were on a boat and the winds were howling and you were just there sleeping and the disciples said, don't you even care that we are perishing? He said, you have little faith because if you're in the boat with us, it doesn't matter if there's storms, it doesn't matter because you're there, you're enough. Pray that tonight we'd be able to declare that as we worship to you. You are enough, Jesus. Help us to experience you tonight and throughout the week, Lord, in a way that we lay our lives down so that you might live in us. We praise you tonight, not complaining and not wanting to go back to slavery, but looking onto you. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.